Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast, where we sit down with everyday people who do extraordinary things. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Oh, I, I do these on uh, when I'm on Sparrow. Yeah. I, I clip one of the mics onto the nav station. That'd be, that'd be, I think that'd be fun to like have an interview and then just hear the sounds of just boat the stuff. The ocean around me. Yeah, oh. yeah. Well, that's, see, though, that's kind of one of the interesting things I didn't know about when I first went to i think i was i must have been doing the podcast maybe i wasn't i don't know what came first the podcast or the audiobook i feel like the audiobook but it regardless uh these are dynamic mm-hmm. mics so they only pick up and i could be totally wrong they only pick up like six inches around you unless it's like super loud noise yep and then there's static mics which is the one that I first had. It was like a blue snowball or whatever. And that thing, if you set it in a room and somebody coughed, you know, down the hall, it would pick all that up. And I was trying to record the audiobook mm-hmm. with that one. And I was in a closet at my parents' house because it was the most dead silent. Because you have to, you do a clip and then you, uh, Audacity has a program you can add on. So it'll check it to see if it will get if it meets the parameters for acx which is audible Mm -hmm. and you'd hit that you'd record for like five minutes or whatever hit that and it would be like nope this is not acceptable and interesting you're just like no and i was beating my head into the wall for like a month trying to get it just right with this stupid microphone that was picking up everything they are not all created equal and they have different styles. Yeah. So I've, I've done some where I've been recording audio or like interviewing people. And mm-hmm. if you're in like an echoey room and I've like hung up blankets. Oh, and yeah, like yeah, yeah. Pillows around just anything to kill a noise. So you can just get that crispy, beautiful audio. Yeah. Well, and it, you know, I mean, I've been there's a shout out the Adventure Sports Podcast. We uh, talked about that. Mason yeah. Gravely. Yeah. Very He's cool. down there in Sarasota and. Uh, he he actually has a little podcast studio. So when I go there, he's the one who introduced me to this little gizmo here. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was, um, you go in there and it's got the egg crate all over. And it's just nice. And, you know, it's kind of weird, though, when you go into one of those studios, it's a... Uh, it's like you can hear the ringing in your mm-hmm. ears because there's no everything sucking up the sound. It's just like where's the sound? It doesn't it oh, doesn't yeah. make sense. Have you ever seen that? Uh, I think they did like the little like a little clip about it, but on that movie uh, Armageddon, where they where they're testing the guys out and they put them in this like room that's completely silent because it has all the perfect angles. There's an actual one of those rooms somewhere, I guess, huh. that like people go in and they can't really be there for very long before they're just like, I got to get out of here. This place is freaking me out. Yeah. I've heard that that's like, it can be a mental struggle. Yeah. Oh, totally. That's so cool. I can hear them out there. Are they doing some sort of, I think they're doing like awards. The best team that won so many points oh, and the best person gotcha, that was gotcha. the fastest in the kayak race. And Gotcha. Well, for, for our listeners, uh, we're at a undisclosed location. I'm working on restoring a boat. Everett, guest of the show, uh, return guest of the show, 
is actually working the program and doing a fantastic job as usual. Welcome to the show, Everett. So excited to be back. Yeah. So excited to talk with you. Hey, you got the gift of gab, sir. I'm oh. not gonna. I, I was waiting for the right time to to grab a pod with you, but uh, I know I've been I've been just back and forth between that boat and stuff. But it's like, hey, you know what? We're both right here, right now. Hey, nice, nice cold refreshment. Fiberglass fibers in the air. Mm. Oh, love it all. Fiberglass in my bed. Too, <laughs> I made that mistake, and now there's no going back, dude. That stuff's ruined. You can't get it out once it's in there. Which is more annoying when you have an aggressive amount of sand or an aggressive amount of fiberglass? Oh, fiberglass by far. When yeah. you get that embedded even in like some clothes sometimes those shirts have to just get tossed you get, if you put them in the laundry with something else because yeah once they get separated it's like that invisible thing you, it's like you know it's there you, know, you can feel it but you can't ooh, remove yeah. it or, oh, luckily i'm i'm so i'm so into it at this point because it's been now i don't even know how long it's been it's been two weeks i think since we got since i got back from camping that I've been grinding away on that boat. And uh, so it's just every day there's fiberglass on me. And I'm pretty used to it. Yeah. It, uh, you know, the only time I really feel is when I get in the shower and I try and suds up. That's when. And I try and hit myself with cold water first. But still, it's still there. And it's like, it's in the soap. Yeah. I spent, I was remodeling a house once and we were doing blown in fiberglass insulation. Ooh. Like some of that like super like high R value stuff. But it was just, it just got everywhere and it's like i have long hair and so it was like in my hair forever oh yeah, just, yeah 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 what do you do the devil you know i know hey no for sure so the missouri yeah yes. you you really you got i'm just you, zeroing right in you got you got my um you got the wheels turning on that yeah. and i have a book in the other room which is this to it's the tome of paddling the Missouri. It's this really cool river angel. He paddled it over the course of three sections, three you summers. Wanna, you want to grab Let it? Let me grab it real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So last time on the podcast, uh, Everett and I sat down a couple of months ago, and he talked about his epic voyage of canoeing the entire Mississippi from starts from spring water to the, what, the Mississippi Delta? The Gulf of Mexico. Gulf of Mexico. And uh, quite the voyage now. After after uh, sort of peeling back the layers on that one, it uh, like it does sometimes with adventures, it just sparks the next one, and uh, it sounds like it sounds like we're in for an expedition. What, what do we got here? So this book, it's I've never met him, but he's in the, he's really well known in the paddling community. Um, his name's David Miller, and his book is called The Complete Paddler. Ooh, and he paddled the whole thing. I believe I'm, I'm not uh, that deep into it, but his, um, the no, whole Missouri. Yeah. The whole Missouri river. And that's uh, Lewis and Clark stuff too. Yeah. Right? Here I'll slide it over yeah, if you there. There she blows. He breaks it up into the, the upper Missouri. And then there's a bunch of, Oh, what? Dams. That's huge. So that's going from like deep Yellowstone, Montana. Yeah. Wyoming. Then way up into Yellowstone, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Iowa, Jeez, and then it hooks into the Mississippi, mm -hmm. St. Louis. How long is that total? Um, it's how many miles? Oh, it's on there. It's just like about twenty three hundred, something like that. Twenty six hundred. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. quick little, quick little rip. But it's it seems so interesting to me because it's really wild. In some sections, there's this one section that's called the hundred mile wilderness, mm. where it's just like 
you better be ready. Yeah, yeah. Because ain't nobody coming to help you out. Ain't nobody pulling up on shore and giving you a first aid kit or bringing, <laughs> bringing you. No bring, paddle bring, angels? Bring, yeah. Or what no. do you call them? River, River angels. angels. Yeah, yeah. yeah kind of yeah. like trail angels on exactly. the AT. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So, so there's some intentional people that are like, if you're paddling the river and you're in my part of the world, you're stopping by my place. And then other people will just be like, what are you doing? No, no, no. Come here. Yeah. yeah come here. Yeah. Have a beer yeah, and talk. Yeah. And right, so, right. but it just seems like it has such an interesting personality. And then the, yeah, like you said, the Lewis and Clark, it's like history, man. Yeah. That's, I don't know. I, I wish I knew I'd sound far more intelligent right now, but I wish I knew more about their expedition. That sounds like, that sounds like a, a book that would be well worth having on the boat is like something that details the Lewis and Clark undaunted courage Ooh. by Stephen, the historian, Stephen Ambrose. Really? And it just, I'll buy you a copy. It's tremendous, but it's the whole thing. When Thomas Jefferson was like, Hey y'all, we got some more wild out there. I need some people to go check it out. Yeah. They handpicked Meriwether, um, Clark or Lewis Clark. And then, um, Meriwether, Lewis and Clark. He picked Lewis and Clark. I'm confusing their names. Don't worry about it. It's been a yeah, long yeah. day, man. Long day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was like Thomas Jefferson being like, this is what I want you to do. And he like trained him in like studying wildlife and studying the river systems and how to map and how to navigate by the stars. And it was like this whole like how to plan, how they planned the trip and then how they selected the crew. Not Nobody died on that trip. One person had to leave because he was sick and he later passed away. But like, they well, were, and, and it was crazy. What man. year was that? Uh, was that 17s or was it 18s? 18s, I think. Early 18s, probably. What number president was Jefferson? He was in the teens, right? He was 12. Ooh, God, we are. Okay, <laughs> Jerome, Jerome and Everett on basic well, U.S. Well, you know history. what, though? Honestly, it's one of those things where, you know, I think most people would grab for a phone and be like, well, let me just check. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to be like, you know what? I'm going to throw up my flag and be like, yeah, I should have paid more attention in, in school, but whatever could you imagine though i mean back then dude that is insane what they would have seen untouched untamed ancient freaking will well not ancient i mean what did it have it had ten thousand years right since the glaciers Mm -hmm. so ten thousand year old growth in america which has north south running mountain chains so that most of those that was a a really interesting part of bill bryson's book a A walk in the woods great book dude shout out that guy that was why i did the appalachian trail changed my life he so he was actually kind of the reason i did the mississippi really yeah because i got really into his books and reading about his travels and stuff like that and i was just like when i was thinking about doing the at it was really popular and i was like i kind of want to do something really off the cuff Yeah, yeah yeah and then he he sparked that idea for me and then like I said on the last podcast, if I can take a long trip and it can involve a boat, I'm probably going to pursue <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. And so, it, smart, smart, yeah. man. It's really, uh, I don't want to say tedious. And I know paddling is tedious as well, but there's something uh, about walking up and down those, those mountains and those hills, really, of the AT, like day after day after day after yeah. day, week after week, month after month, that uh, I think it takes like a special. A special sort of, um, a special sort of stupid to do it, where you're sort of like, Duh, well, I might as well keep going. <laughs> I don't got nothing better to do. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think I think most 
most people uh, of a, a higher intelligence than me would probably get through about the first three or four states and be like, got it. I got it. Moving on. <laughs> but it's no fun. No joke. I'm it, serious, man. But it's fun to see on all the rivers I've paddled, and you, I'm sure you saw it on your trip. You did the trip. You were sailing. I was paddling and doing all these trips. But the personality and the, the – um, the terrain and personality changes and you yes. don't notice it in, in that moment. But when you shift from one kind of like one cultural and geographic zone to another, and you're like, Oh wow, this is like, it evolves and it grows and it shows you it's different personalities. It's really fun to look back and be like, Oh, whoa. Yeah. This yeah, is just I like crazy those. rapids. You weren't expecting it. And then it's just like, Oh man, I'm just paddling through these lakes where I can't see across them. And it's just like, it's kind of fun. But yeah, back to Well, and though, I mean, it is also, I thought it was really interesting to see the change in myself uh, as time and months went on, both on the AT, both uh, and out on the oceans, where that's something you you can't, you you will never know what it's like to hike the entire AT unless you hike the entire AT. Those that do say, and I was pretty much kind of kidding, but eh, not really. If you if you hike a month on the AT, you pretty much got it for sure. But the one thing you don't get is you don't get the experience of oh four months out there. Look at how much you've changed, and that's what anybody that like jumps off early and thinks they you know oh I got it. That's what they miss out on, and, and it, that's a personal yeah. Well, and even if if two people shoved off on a big river trip or did on the AT. And did it in the same time, they would still be different trips. Nobody's going to do in exactly the same trip. So you can talk with people and like hear about all the experiences and stuff they were exposed to in the trials and tribulations, but it's going to be like significantly different than yours. Oh, totally. I talked with a bunch of people that did the Mississippi and we were comparing and contrasting states and stories and this and that. And it's just like they made one decision and it like cast them in a certain direction. We made one decision and it sent us in an entirely different on the same river. Yeah. Oh, Because there's, I mean, yeah. you know, you stop in one town and it can be different than if you pass it up or, you know, we, the, the lower Mississippi for us was tremendously flooded. And so we missed a lot of opportunities for some like amazing infamous campsites and stuff. But we were also like really cruising and like literally floated yeah, into some yeah. towns because it was so flooded. And they're just like, what are you doing? Come in, stay. And it's just. Tie it's, up to the bar. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's kind of interesting because I, I know that if um, I, I'm just going to keep hitting books up, might as well, but uh, A Journey for Mad Men or A Voyage for Mad Men by oh. Peter Nichols. Oh. In that, you know, you really get to see. So, so all those guys are doing pretty much the same route. And really, it's just Knox Johnson and Matissier and, and Tetley that actually do the whole Southern Ocean. But like. All three of them were there at different times and had vastly different experiences. Like Knox Johnson got his teeth kicked in over and over again. Mortissier basically was like, man, these light winds are kind of annoying. He yeah. only went through one gale in the Pacific, I think, uh, until he then continued on. And then Tetley, he went through some pretty bad stuff. But the Southern Ocean is kind of like that where it, just with the weather, because obviously everybody's in the middle of an ocean, but... Like, depending on what time you drop in, yeah. in that just, you could be right in the middle, like, oh, I've just caught the tail edge of that gale, and now 
I'm in the middle of this nice sweet spot for the next like three weeks. And the next gale is like really far south. And then the next guy who comes down just gets hammered by like hurricane force, low pressure system, whatever. Yeah. I, in that book, it's interesting seeing their philosophical and literal approaches to why they chose the rigs they chose and what they wanted to do and how they wanted to approach it. And you could see later on with their experiences on how that bit them and sometimes helped them. And it was just like, it's, because that was i mean that was a race built on hubris and some people oh yeah succeeded and some people found great you know enlightenment oh it wasn't it wasn't a matissier he was just like i don't even want to finish i just want to be out here well he yeah he he saw it as as much as i can understand from reading you know i've read pretty much everything he's put out and a lot of people um have very differing opinions on him. Some people hate him. They're like, that guy abandoned his family and blah, blah, blah. Other people are like, well, that guy was bipolar. Like, it's obvious if you read his books. Um, I'm of the opinion that, you know, he was just, he was just very into what he was doing. Like he was involved. You know, it's, it's hard. I think for people these days with so many distractions, constant distractions from all this technology to even know what it feels like to just be completely involved in something like sailing or a voyage or camping or any of that sort of stuff where we're there's just there's no you're not getting pulled away from it not even for two seconds you're just there in it in that moment and so he's alone on this boat for i think it took him like four months five four months or so to get to like cape horn mm-hmm and he gets there, and he knows that he's definitely going to win this race. I'm pretty sure he was getting radio bulletins. He knew that, boom, he could go up there. But he also he, he knew that he didn't want to be doing that race from the get-go. He just was – he wanted to go sail around the world nonstop by himself, but he didn't want to race. They put on the race, and then he was like, well, I guess I got to go do this. And – so essentially, like he, I think I, I have the feeling that he was battling that in his brain the whole time he was out there. He's just alone. He's barely eating. Like when they, when they, some fishermen spotted him and he dropped off some, some messages for home off of uh, Tasmania. Mm-hmm. And the, they were like this emaciated guy in this filthy sweater, like came up on deck. We couldn't even believe it. And then, you know, he just keeps on going and going. So long story short, though, I think after spending that much time alone and just on that boat and in that world and he gets to Cape Horn and he has this huge epiphany of like just life and it's like this pinnacle moment. And then all of a sudden, all your thoughts are, if I just keep sailing north, I'm going to be the most famous sailor in the world. And I, I think he saw that as like, somebody dangling the carrot of like, Ooh, you could, this whole voyage could be about this and turn into this or, and that's why I think his famous quote about I'm happy at sea and I want to save my soul Mm -hmm. really is like people try and dissect that. Sometimes you don't even have to, he wanted to stay out there to save his soul, to, to make sure that he was the type of person who was doing that, that sail and that voyage, not for the fame, not for the glory. He was doing it because that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to just sail. And and then, you know, he sailed one and a half times around the world. It was the world record for, I don't know how long, 
Not that he really cared about that stuff, but that was just his voyage. Then you you jump over to Knox Johnson, and he was going out there because he wanted to win that for himself and for his country, which is also, I think, respectable. Yeah. I think that's great. It's it's like, that, remember that conversation we had last night? It's Some people want to do it because it's there, and they want to go through that process, and then some people want to do it because of the end result. Yeah. And they want they want the accolades and the awards, and that's fine. But it's like some people just want to go. It's just different. Some yeah, people want yeah. the ups and downs, and some people want the look what I did. Right, right. Well, not you know, I don't. I, I, I've, I've only emailed with Knox Johnson a couple of times, and it's been very short stuff. But um, from his writings, he doesn't seem like he's a blowhard by any means. He doesn't seem like somebody who's like, oh, you know, look what I did, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I could be totally wrong. Um, I'm just going off of what he wrote. And I know, unlike Motissier, he, he, I'm sure, had an editor and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Oh, I wasn't, I wasn't saying books. that he was, he was on one side of the coin of Matissier. What are you was saying the- about him? <sighs> no. <laughs> no. But. Well, but I mean, it is. I think it's a, it's a really, it's like a perfect, would you call that a dichotomy? Uh, Again, showing, I, I'm just waving my ignorance flag. I mean, yeah. I mean, based off that kind of like mental approach I just presented, like, yeah, I would say that there's, there's like they're the yin and yang, yeah, yin, yin and yin and yang, yin and yang, yeah, I yeah. That one, Adrian taught me that. Shout, <laughs> out, shout out, love song yoga. Um, she's the best. She's pretty crazy. Yeah, she's doing uh, right about now. She's doing some sort of uh, some sort of yoga retreat. Like she's leading a class as we speak. Is she in the Big Easy right now? No, no, no. She's in North Carolina. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Good for her. Private land on this big like commune th- sort of thing. Very interesting. Very yeah, interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Miss ya. Miss you, babe. All right. So back to Lewis and Clark real quick. Yeah. How insane would it have been? I mean, I was just in the woods in like the tamest possible place you could ever imagine. Now, flashback 300 years. And that place was mountain lions, bobcats, probably grizzly bear, uh, black bears for sure. God only knows what else. Huge, crazy white pines, you know, bald eagles twice the size of the ones today. Like it would have just been this fierce, insane, dangerous place. They were they were not only literally literally discovering unknown species of animals probably on the daily on the daily but learning how to interact with them you know uncon previously uncontacted indigenous tribes yep and they were and the first ones yeah they're like what's this crazy dog thing that's super aggressive oh these are like coyotes and wolves and like oh we've seen some like bears in the east what are these other ones oh these are grizzlies oh do they act the same and it's just like nope no, they're, yeah, weren't they? I think I think there's something in in Bryson's book about that where he talks. He's like Lewis and Clark were literally they couldn't believe how scared the Native Americans were out there, and they, how they would be like, you could just shoot them with as many arrows as you want, and they'll just keep coming at you. Yeah. Now you've got a, a porcupine bear. Yeah. There's there's one story, and I forget if oh, it was you. I forget if it was Meriwether Lewis or if it was William Clark. Oh, One you got them, him down. Yeah, there we go. I'm not as brushed up as I used to be. <laughs> um, one of them, they learned how to hunt bears. And they were surviving off bears because I forget how many were on the crew. It was definitely less than 20, I think. 
Yeah. And one of them was shooting a bear, but wounded it. And the bears just turned around. was just like, uh, uh, and started charging him. And then the other one was there just in time to shoot the bear dead. And it, it, I think as the story goes, it slid to the feet of the person who was about to attack. Cause this grizzly was just like a little, little non plus of that piece of lead. It just, Got hucked into its heart. A little bit of momentum behind that. Probably, it probably weighed like between 700 and 1,200 pounds or something like that. I mean, the, I think the biggest grizzly ever shot, could be totally wrong, was 1,500 pounds up in Alaska. Yeah, I mean, depending on the time of year, if you're if you're catching a hungry bear protecting its its catch or something like that that's trying to fatten up, yeah, they're yeah, aggressive yeah. and they're fat and they're big and they're just, oh. They had uh, there's another great book, um, Stephen Herrero's Bear Bear Attacks or Causes and Avoidance. It's Ooh. sort of like the end all be all the the Bible of like bears. And this dude's like an insane expert. Um, but he talks about some of the problem bears back in the 60s and 70s and stuff out in Yellowstone and Glacier because they were feeding them garbage out of the dumps and stuff. There'd be bear dumps essentially so the bears could come and feed and people could watch them but that made it so the bears were like "Ooh, this food's good and these juvenile bears would get up to like 700 pounds because they're eating human food it's it's these uneducated people doing like bucket biology it's like (laughs) they're literally they're literally pavlov conditioning bears i'm gonna feed you i'm gonna feed you i'm gonna feed you you're happy you're happy and then the minute they stop it's like hey food source where what is no no no. and then they get upset and then everybody's like surprised and it's like what where do you you're not (laughs) why do you think you're above this thing on the food chain there there was um i I, and i forget what they call i think it's called like a homogenized bear or something like that but it's basically where a bear realizes that humans equal food not like a human is food, mm-hmm. but humans have food. So I'm going to go whenever I see humans and go right up to them. But there was a a black bear that was near Blood Mountain in Georgia. So the highest point in Georgia on the AT. And this bear was rumored to basically, it was so smart that it never attacked anybody. What it did, though, was it saw hikers pass and it would just follow them. And it would keep following them. It wouldn't get too close. But it would stay close, and eventually the hikers would drop their packs, and then the bear would go through and drag the pack back to its den or whatever, its cave. Eventually, they do find this bear, and it had like the remnants of two or three hundred backpacks in its cave. It had just, it, it figured it out. It was smart enough to know, like, I'm not going to kill these people. That's straight up psychological. Attack them. That is psychological warfare. And who knows? Maybe it was just getting lucky. Maybe it was just getting lucky. Or and who knows? Maybe the stories, you know, it's going down the chain of the AT and all that stuff. You never know. It's totally. I, true. I would. I would disagree with luck at about a hundred backpacks. You you triple that amount. I'd say that's well, just you, a smart critter. If and who knows? Well, it could have just been like one of those things where the first time it did it, all it did was just sort of curiously follow some hikers, and then after ten minutes, they dropped their packs to distract the bear, and the bear was like, "Wow, that was easy. I'm gonna do that again." And does it again, and the same thing happens. Now it's conditioned, and it's like, I don't actually need to attack. They're gonna drop their packs. Yeah. Ugh. Can you imagine just having a bear fall? You know those. Have you ever heard the phrase about bears? If they like, if they get confrontational, black fight back, brown lie down, lie down yeah, white good night, yeah. Oh. 
<laughs> there is, uh, I forget. I don't know. Unfortunately, I don't know the name of the book, but uh, these guys are up paddling um, up in the Arctic and they're doing some big river. It's like a 30 day trip or something like that. And this dude, and it's just miserable. The guy who's reading the book too. I, I listened to it on audible guy just reads the books. It's just monotone and, and, just kind of says it like this and all this stuff. And it's really, it's like, it's totally depressing. I don't even know how I got through it, but about, about 80% through this book, finally he's at the, they're at this spot and his two buddies, he wakes up from a nap and his two buddies have already been on the hike up to the bluff. And then he goes up there, gets mauled by a grizzly or I think he gets mauled. Yeah. I think he gets mauled by a grizzly. Um, or it could have been a polar bear. No, no, no. Polar bear would have been that grizzly, and then he's he's like stumbling down, trying to like face falling off all this stuff, and he survives. And then it's all about the rescue and how they get him out of there and stuff. But dude, a polar bear? No way. No, that that thing is a man eater. There, there. Are, I think I forget. There's three things that hunt humans. I forget, and this is out of order. But one of them is humans, and one of them is polar bears. They will literally hunt humans. They will follow you. Alligators, I would think, right? I would think. I know at least like North North American gators. They're territorial, and again, if they if you if you train them with food and stuff like that. Well, if you go swimming in alligator, like I know that if you went over to the Nile and you tried to cross with where those crocodiles are, I think it's crocodiles. Yeah, crocs are yeah. gators are here. I mean, we watched, we watched, we didn't get to see like a crossing, I don't think, of wildebeest or anything, but we got to see these, these gigantic crocodiles. And I have a feeling that if I would have stepped out and tried to cross that river, I, I would have been eaten. Like they, any, anything that wanders into their path, I think they're just like, well, let's give it a shot. Yeah. I, so Will, Mississippi story. Will and I, once we got further down south, yeah. And we were in the territory of those giant prehistoric dinosaurs. We would go out of our way to try to find some because we wanted to see some. Wow. And we were, we, ain't, ain't that the start of a good story? We, well, no, <laughs> no. I mean, this is, this is a, a, it's a non-starter story. But we went out of our way, went in the bayous, and we heard from all the locals. And they're just like, the old ones are the ones that stay out of the way. Stay out of the channel. And they stay away from folks because they know what's good for them. And the younger ones that are around. And then they either get educated or get killed get killed or yeah. fed up we we're looking and looking we never saw nothing never saw not a one and my my folks hi mom and dad i love you um they came down shout out mom and dad yeah they came they were awesome and they came down and picked us up at the southern end of the mississippi river at the, the lowest town came and picked picked our little suntan butts up and while they were waiting, they, they got there earlier in the day and like had lunch and were cruising towns and all this stuff like that. And they beat us where they were going to pick us up by a few hours. And we got there and we saw them. We were talking this and that. My mom's like, oh, yeah, we were just like sitting on the shores and some of these back streets that are close to the bayous and watching all the gators. And it was so fun seeing them move. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You've been in Louisiana for eight hours. And I've been here for weeks trying to find these. And I was like, this isn't this is not fair. <laughs> Dude, I, I, whenever I go down to fly out of Savannah, there's some little hotel that I stay in near the airport and there's a tiny little pond behind it and there's always gators out there. Yeah. Yeah. You ever had any fun or crazy encounters with critters out in the woods? I got a few stories. Uh, the only, the only remarkable one 
that was pretty interesting, I think, was uh, up in Boundary Waters, up in Minnesota. Um, now, in Maine, I encountered moose a lot. Mm-hmm. There were times where you, you literally, there's a moose coming down the path right at you, and you sidestep, and they just right past you. That happened a couple of times, right? Oh. Um, but up in Boundary Waters, there's a group of six of us years ago, and... We're camping on an island, and one of the cool parts about Boundary Waters is they have all these great campsites on these islands. When you're on an island, you're like, I don't need to hang my food. Like, this is great. We're on an island, dude. This is our just little place. Well, unbeknownst to us, and this one was probably like two, two, three hundred feet wide or whatever, so it was heavily wooded, all that sort of stuff, and the campsite was right there on the water sometime in the evening, and that, that was post their big blowdown fire of 2000 i don't know what 2004 there was a huge fire up there mm-hmm. so we were under fire ban so there's no fire and uh so not a lot of light not a lot of morale and all of a sudden we just start hearing this like just noise in the trees behind us and we're kind of like what was that and then it gets louder and louder more aggressive more aggressive and finally like we start poking our our headlamps over there and we see two big reflective eyes that are way above the ground (laughs) and it's a moose and the moose obviously needs to or wants to get off of this island and its normal route is right through that campsite because Boundary Waters is huge. Yeah. A lot of those campsites rarely get or, used. Yeah, they're, they're untouched yeah. for long lengths of time. And so you see six 20-year-old men thinking, you know, going from thinking they're the, the strongest, baddest thing out there to being like, I think we should, like, go over. Should we get in the canoes? Like we, we And we, we ended up, I think, going to the other side of the island for about a half an hour, 45 minutes, and then coming back. And and then it was gone at that point. But that was the only time where we we actually had to, like, shift our our state to make way for some animal that was definitely way bigger. And I'm sure it was just, you know, eh, it, probably, it definitely wasn't like a bull because a bull wouldn't have sat there in the trees and rattled them. It would have just stomped right through. And it wasn't the rut or anything like that, so because we, I probably wouldn't be here. Mm. Aren't they? They're they're one of the most dangerous animals when they're in the rut. Yeah, I've what I've heard, and I'm from the south. We ain't got them down there, but uh, we ain't got them down there. <laughs> uh I've heard they're <laughs> docile, but they're quick to anger. Yeah. Oh, they get all like they can get riled crazy. Yeah. Bet, a lot of people die the, from them. Yeah, and about that time of year when the old the old hormones are pumping. Ugh, that's man, that's crazy. I was when I was paddling the Grand River. I was alone in a seventeen foot canoe, and I just portaged a few miles through Grand Rapids, and I was a few miles downriver from Grand Rapids. I think near Grand River and the oh, this is in Michigan. Yeah, I did nice. the I did the Grand from Jackson, um, Jackson, Michigan, all the way out to Lake Michigan. Took oh me, wow! Yeah, it took me about three weeks, something like that. Great time! Oh, wow! Yeah, it was a lot of fun, a lot of time. Did it for work. Did a lot of photo, video stuff for some clients. Is that? Are is there stuff uh, on your website? About yes, that? there is. There is a section on my website where it's the Grand River, and it's a bunch of my photographs of my trip, and then I made a video as well of my time down. And that's EverettSislow.com. EverettMSislow.com. EverettMSislow.com. Nice. But I'm down a little south of Grand Rapids in a pretty wild stretch, and the water's very murky, 
very you can't see less than six inches below the uh, top of the water because it was so muddy and stuff like that. And I had the best as I can estimate as I was canoeing. I could neither see it and it could not see me, but I think I literally had a beaver run into the side of my boat. Ooh. And this thing was right on the op. It was starboard rear right next to me. And I surprised it and it jumped out of the water and started clawing and biting at the edge of my gunnel uh. and the side of my hull. And it was literally right next to me, just thrashing and biting and scratching. And there was, and it was this, this went on for, <laughs> It felt like so long, but it was how pro- big was it? It was it was a a very substantial beaver, eighty pounder. Yeah, it was a big one. It was a <laughs> it was a big one, but it felt like so long. But in reality, I'm sure it was just seconds. Yeah, yeah. But it, there was enough time where I was surprised, and I was like, "Holy shit, what do I do?" And I was the, the thought went through my head of Everett, you're gonna have to fight this beaver right now. Like, what do you do? This thing is just. I was like freaked out, and then I I. I threw a couple paddles and I like, I kicked my stern out a little bit and then it just dove and went away. But it was like this, like out of nowhere violence. And this thing was so unhappy with me. And I was like, Oh my God, but it was a giant beaver. I've never seen a beaver that large in my life. Dude, they're rough. The only ones I've, I, I've seen a few in the wild, but like I, I've, I watched uh, Steve Rennell's uh, meat eater and there's an episode where he goes and hunts beaver. Yeah. Like, Those things are huge. They're huge. huge. It was in a different circumstance. Maybe with a firearm in my hand and a trap, I would love to encounter it. But this was like, yeah, <laughs> this is like what? quiet, quiet wilderness. Nothing upset. Me. It was yeah, just, right. it was a trip, man. Well, and I, you know, I mean, obviously, I've seen some stuff out in the ocean, like wild animals and stuff, and whales and everything. I mean, I, I still, I'll never forget. I was with uh, when I sailed from South Carolina up to Maine with one of my AT buddies, Bo Jangles. Shout out Bo Jangles. I don't think he's ever been on the show. I don't think I was doing the show back then. Bo Jangles, what are you doing, man? Get on this podcast. I got to get out to him. I only do in person, man. I don't do any of that cell phone stuff. Got to keep it authentic. Look him in the eye. Exactly. You can't get away with stuff on this, (laughs) man. Um, But we had gotten up into, we were in between George's Bank and... Cape Cod, huge, huge humpback area. Huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got Stellwagen Bank. George's Bank is one of the most fertile pieces of water on the planet. I mean, it's insane. Insane. The fishery is just out of this world. It has been for 400 years or whatever. But regardless, we're, we're cruising. The tides had just changed. And there was this big humpback, probably like 40 foot or something, just charging right at us just swimming hard swimming fast and it it obviously didn't know we were there quite yet and i i was just about to start rapping on the hall like just tapping to make some noise we were sailing we didn't have any engine on or anything and it it realized we were there 50 feet away or something and you i i could not even fathom that a whale could do a u-turn that fast like literally just like like a fish, like a dolphin, just and then just took off in the other direction. But uh, for a little bit, I was kind of like, "Are we about to get rammed?" <laughs> like, and I, I humpbacks, you know, the only the only really aggressive whales besides orcas these days are uh, sperm whales. Mm-hmm. You know that that goes way way back. But they're, I think, I think people are starting to realize how how intelligent those creatures are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously not smart enough to 
really go full force on on you know the whalers back in the day it would have been it would have been a pretty interesting tell of intelligence i think if you know not just a handful of incidents where these boats rammed these or these whales rammed these wooden boats most famous the essex but if it would have been like an all out like oh yeah they get really mad at us and they sink our boats how would that have changed the outlook of of man versus animal it was like wow these things get really mad and they actually take revenge and now there's you know angry bull sperm whales that are sinking ships I mean that would have that would have definitely been because uh, it's still I mean to this day people are still kind of think of like animals as these like mindless beasts. Well, I'm which is unfortunate. I think I'm I'm glad you encountered one that understood oh. starboard over port and gave yeah, you right away. Yeah, trust me, trust me. <laughs> oh, I'm man. trying to think which which direction he was coming and what what tack I was on. But even I mean, Bo Jangles and I were both up on on deck watching it, and we saw it happen, and we was like, "Oh my god!" I don't know, wild animals, man. You know, you're as as comfortable as we are in our little little houses and our little everything. You go out into the wild, and you're in their house. Yeah, I think I we touched on it the last time we we chatted on this here podcast you were used to our position on the food chain. Yeah. And then you go out and you're in their world and you realize you're not on the rung. You think you are No, not anymore. No, that's good. I think that's a good sobering thing to realize. Like, I think so. It's good to know that, you know, there, I think it's good every once in a while, put yourself in a position where, things can get a little risky. You're taking a bit of a a roll of the dice, random act of, you know, lightning or a tornado or a rabid animal, you know, nine times out of 9.1 times, all animals are going to run away from you. I mean, I almost every single bear that I saw in the AT, which was probably like seven or eight of them all tucked tail and ran. Yeah. Pretty sure I saw a bobcat, or not a bobcat, but a mountain lion in, uh, I think it would have been Virginia, tucked tail and ran so fast. I got, all I saw was this big, fluffy, long tail. Well, that's the best case scenario, seeing them. Yeah. it's when you don't see well, them, that, yeah. that's when. Mountain lions are definitely uh, tough customers. Oh, man. <clears throat> but. Yeah, I don't know. To go back again, you know, we keep going off in the weeds, but like, I couldn't even imagine, you know, being Lewis and Clark, being in that situation where you're going in and seeing. I mean, the only people that saw a lot of America before them were the botanists and the the guys coming over to basically find new plants to take back to Europe to sell. But and they they spend like a year out in the woods. But but even then they never went west of the Mississippi. No, like huh? like they, Jefferson they Jefferson the trained them. Yeah. Like way back in the day where I grew up and lived in Kentucky, that was like the wild west frontier. Mm-hmm. And it was just like you don't like this is this is madness already. And then they realized like no no no, there's so much so more. So much more. Ugh, wait wait till you See this little thing called the American Buffalo. 
Or just, I mean, the the prairie land where back then the grass would have been like 8, 10, 12 feet tall. You couldn't even see. Like, I, I know, uh, listening to, um, there's a great podcast out there. It's not it's not family friendly by any means, but it's called The Last Podcast on the Left. They do a lot of true crime. Mm. But they talked about, they did a two-part series on the, or maybe three, on the Dahmer party. Yeah. And... They talked about a lot about the history of, you know, these, these people going out west back then. And literally, you, you'd be on this trail, this like two track sort of thing. And you'd have, you know, 30, 30 little horse drawn carriage wagon things. And if like kids wandered off into the grass in the prairies, that was it. They were done. You didn't even go look for them because it was like, dude, you, you, they just. It'd be like walking off into like a swamp or something. It's just, there's no trace. It's just too, you know, we think of it now as like, you know, you think of, uh, uh, what's that Kevin Costner movie? If they build it, they will come. Oh, Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams. Like, you know, walking around in grass or whatever that's three feet tall. No, no, no. Back then it was like a jungle. Yeah. And it went on forever. I mean, the planes, the great American planes are insane. They're yeah. huge. And then you come to the foot of the Rocky Mountains. I don't even know. I, I'm, I tip my hat to that sort of exploration and just diving into the unknown. It would have been remarkably beautiful, though. Yeah. Just un- untouched. untouched. <sighs> that'd, be th- a, that'd be a trip. They had so many, like, so many crazy encounters with friendlies and non-friendlies and critters and stuff but they just they just kept going they kept going but they came out like unscathed somehow and, and it was just like it was years too it was like they were that was not like a yeah, what six, did it take like five ten years i thought it was like i think it's like three three four to I could go be wrong. out and back because they saw the pacific right yeah, yeah yeah they they made it out and then they wintered in um the pacific northwest they stayed up there for a while and they did a lot of boat shifting and stuff like that. When they realized the flat boats that they designed specifically that went down the Ohio, up the Mississippi, up the Missouri, they were wide, uh, shallow draft. They were, they were re- the design behind them was really well done like, mm-hmm. for having never been on the water and the terrain that they went through their choice of, of gear and stuff. And then making modifications was really well done. And then there were there were parts too when they got um, further out towards the Pacific Northwest where they would um, break up the flat, flat boats, build cabins, winter them, and then trade them for like <laughs> canoes and stuff like that. And some sections they traded for like horses and made it out there. But it's just like, man, if one of those ideas of like, oh, let's switch from you know X to Y transportation device backfired, like, wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, or you know, back in the day, common thing, you know the cabin catches on fire all of a sudden now your boat's missing too because that's what you made it out of yep it's kind of like shackleton those guys you know they they ended up utilizing a lot of the well they they cannibalized the ship as it was breaking up in the ice but then when they finally got to they stop on elephant island the uninhabited island that they first went to on the small boats they ended up sort of building this little makeshift shelter, mm. and then then Shackleton and a couple of guys went on that small boat to South Georgia. I can't even remember. God Almighty, it's been so long. You know, you read these books, you get so into them for so long, and then 
seven, eight years goes by. Mm-hmm. And you forget those little facts. Yeah. You, you should read stories. You should read Undaunted Courage. It's a, it is a, it is a mighty tome of the written word, but it is, I mean, there's other books out there, but Stephen Ambrose is, he's a famed, he was a famed historian. Yeah. yeah and it's yeah. just, it is, I, in my humble opinion, I think it is the end all be all of Lewis and Clark, the Lewis before, or during and after of Lewis and Clark and stuff like that. Whatever happened to those guys? After after the fame and everything, they must have had some. Um, I know William William Clark, uh, a fellow Kentuckian. He came back, nice, and he actually um, partially adopted Sacagawea's their their guide Sacagawea's son, and um, brought him back east to get an education and stuff like that. So he kind of like took him under his wing, and then. I want to say this, but I'm afraid I'm going to be wrong. I think uh, Meriwether Lewis had some mental struggles and took his own life. Oh, I think so. I might be thinking of somebody else. Grain of salt on that one. Yeah, you never. But they, really but they know. came. I mean, they came back, and it was just this like Jefferson was still in office, and it was like they did this thing, and I don't think they got a lot of fame and notoriety and stuff like that. But I don't think people understood the scope. Yeah. Of oh my god, of what they did. It well, was it he, wasn't a, it wasn't like a mentally digestible thing because they were like, hey, let me show you this map of that we created, and like how to understand that. It's uh, just like no, I know it's it. I mean, and and that comes from me trying to explain, you know, how how you sail nonstop around the world. Uh, for most people, that is like I can literally say it in a bunch of different ways, and I just see a blank face looking back at me. And until you actually have a globe in front of you. That's when all of a sudden people are like, wait a minute. They're like, hold up. Like, our planet. And you're like, yes. Yeah, you get it now. Yeah. I was I was talking with some people earlier today, and they asked me if I had paddling experience. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I was like yeah, I've, I've done some stuff. And this, this one person was from Minnesota. And I commented. I said, I've seen Minnesota, oh, yeah. but from a very unique perspective. And then I was like, oh, I, I paddled the Mississippi. They're like, oh, cool. Like, how much of it? And I said, I did the whole thing. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Like, how long did that take? And I was like, I was like 70-something days, like 70 days or whatever. And he just, you just see it's them like, stop. Wait, or, like, wait, wait, what do you mean you paddled it? And I was like. Paddled on the Mississippi. No, he paddled the Mississippi. Yeah. And so, it's just, it was funny to and see. And you're it. our paddle guy today? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> And it was just, it was that, that like that moment that, that light bulb that they didn't even know was screwed in there, like went off and they're like, what? That was, it was fun. They were really cool. Yeah. No, Hey, it's true. It's true. I mean, it'd be like going to like a climbing gym or something like that. And you get an instructor for the day and, and they're like, yeah. So, you know, I went out and, uh, I've, I've climbed on Everest and you're like, Oh, Everest. Oh, that's cool. Well, yeah, I summited it or whatever. Or no, no, no. Maybe not Everest. Cause Everest, from what I understand and I, I was supposed to get the lowdown from my cousin who climbed it last year, but uh, it's like a conveyor belt of wealthy people. <laughs> so I, yeah, I don't, I don't you know. still are taking your life in your hands. I don't want to take away from anybody's trip going up there because you, once you get into the death zone, you're in the death zone. Let's name that for a reason. But like, you know, when a thousand people are doing it, it's sort of like, yeah, it takes, takes a little bit of the, a thrill out of yeah, it. Yeah, I don't want to discredit anybody. No. But I've also, like, I've, 
read reports that ostensibly boil it down to if you have enough money, you can do it. You can do it's, it. It's, yeah. it's a monetary thing. Now, a mountain like K2 or Denali. Yeah. Totally different story. Totally yeah. different story. You, you do one of those and I'm, you've, you've uh, piqued my interest. Yeah quite quite heavily because i know that's that's pretty insane and my cousin did he climbed another mountain while he was over there like directly after doing everest so i think everest was part of the they were raising money for something oh cool yeah yeah yeah. and um and then he was able to but i he actually the biggest thing that i wanted to ask him about was uh he just finished doing the leadville 100 tell me about that 100 mile endurance race in Colorado, one of the toughest events you can do physically. <clears throat> I think it it is up up and down two different mountains or something. I mean, just like the AT is compared to that. I mean, the AT is long, obviously, but man, uh, those endurance like the ultra marathon runner type things, anything over like fifty miles, you're what you're doing to your body is just. I don't know. I don't understand. It doesn't. It doesn't compute. Yeah. It's so abusive. In in the paddling community, there's kind of two parties. There's the people like me that do like marathon expeditions. Yeah. You're just going out. You're doing. And then there's people that do like races that do like sprints where they're just like. There's a famous one in the Osable, and it's like a couple hundred miles, and they people will do it in. 16 18 20 hours and stuff like that yeah. they they like look at my world and they're just like why would you do it like why would you want to be out there that long and i look at them and i'm like why would you want to enjoy it yeah and right? we, we all just like look at we all get along but it's just this like kind of confused like is it a dichotomy i think it is <laughs> this is i'm the, gonna have to look that word up this is <laughs> i think dichotomy is it's the opposite of one position hmm that would make sense. Your hair is the dichotomy of my hair. There we go. Yeah. Yours is long, flowing, <laughs> glorious. <laughs> Mine is short and thin and barely hanging on. Oh, you got a great, <laughs> great head of hair. I cut it last night. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I got the presentation tomorrow, so I was like, eh. Get out. I just get out the clippers and I literally just do this all around my head and i'm like yeah i haven't had a professional haircut since way before covid i got i got my first professional haircut in i want to say 15 years just before my wedding to my sweet loving wife jesse shout out jess she was like can you just like get it and i got it i went in and it was a lot of fun but usually my, my usual move is once a year Jesse and I have some we like during cocktail hour and we just like go out in the back deck with a pair yeah, pair right. of kitchen shears and she just lops off eight, nine inches or something like that. Hey, why hey, not? no, yeah. it works. Tarzan look hey, is looking good. Hey, it's man. team building. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was always it was pretty cool. Putman, shout out Putman down there at Bitter End Yacht Club. Shout out Bitter End. Best oh, place what a, you what can go guy. in the Caribbean. But yeah, when he first got down there, he had all that long hair. He cut it all off after a little while, but I think now he's grown it all back. But he, yeah, he would he would undo that man bun and just be like, Tarzan is here. He's a showstopper. It's a showstopper <laughs> move. That's so funny. Oh hell yeah! Uh, it's nine fifteen. I'm I'm so Everett and I are, are anxiously anticipating a drone show. 
Um, people are here flying drones, but like all 50 of them all at once to perform as if they were a fireworks show. So that sort of thing. I haven't heard the whiz of 50. No, it's 200. Oh, it's 200. Sorry. 200. I haven't heard the whiz of 200. I know what one sounds like. And I feel like I would pick up on that. I want to, I really want to go bend their ear. Cause as, as a licensed certified drone pilot, I've logged a lot of flights and a lot of hours but to be the pilot in command of that many 200 Can you imagine if they all failed at once 200 unmanned aerial vehicles <laughs> anything falling i mean i have a light theirs are really small but anything falling from a height of a few pounds that could terminal velocity man uh, yeah gravity's a weird thing man trust me i know well we can wrap this up if you want to go down um uh, I'm just glad we were able to sit and just kind of off the cuff. Just I love it. Have a I combo, man. And and chances are we'll be able to follow this up one more time when I get down to uh, Dexter for that talk on the 27th. Yeah, maybe you and me can uh, get out and get get my fair vessel. I yeah, get I would like get out and do a little paddle. You know, I That'd uh, be fun. I I've been known to have a couple of gears. When it comes to paddling, and uh, the guy, I'm usually in the front. The guy in the back is steering, and like if we need to move, he's like, "Give me fourth. But if we really need to move, he's like, "Dude, put the hammer down." And I'll just, I'll literally be like, Grr! I have this old, old, just super basic paddle, but it's strong because I've broken a few. Yeah, I get too excited, and I'm like, just snap them. Oh, this one's, this one weighs a lot. Really? But, yeah, I call it Thor's paddle. Huh. I've had it for years now. Yeah, so, it's, it's the only one that stood up to it. So that's the dichotomy of mine. Will and I, we got, that's the one thing, one of the few things we like splurging on. We got these like really nice bent shaft oh, uh, bending yeah, branches yeah. paddles. And I think the thing weighs like oh. maybe a couple pa- It's Oh, it's a, it's a piece of art. I retired my, my original one because I did so many river trips with it. And it's yeah. just, it's showing its wear. And if something happened to it, it's just like, no, 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 no. So I got it. I got a new one, but uh, I'll give <laughs> yeah, you mine. You, you could, you could that. just, you could like hold it in your hand and blow, and it would. Just oh, I'm sure. Dude, it's I'm a beautiful sure. piece. Oh man, yeah, mine. If you picture like a stock and standard all wood paddle with a painted red handle, that's sort of large for a a big person. That's that's Thor's paddle. Thor's paddle. And it's just, it. you can, you get to the campsite, you just chuck it up onto the land. You don't even think twice about uh, it. It's great. That'd be, it's that'd be really a good heavy. match for my canoe, because my canoe is beastly. a bruiser <laughs> and just heavy, and I love it, and I will never get rid of it, but it is just, it is not light. It is, it's comfortable, but it's just like, it'll... It'll take a licking and keep on ticking, man. Yeah, yeah, carries that weight, carries that weight. There's all these, there's all these, you know... There's pros and cons to everything. It's a double-edged sword. You know, it's your it's your mother-in-law driving off a cliff in a brand new Cadillac. You know, it's conflicting. Wait. I hear I hear, I hear some buzzing. I hear the drones. All right, Everett, Thank thanks for coming. This love you, buddy. Awesome. Thank yep, you, everybody. Let's go check it out. Thanks for listening. <laughs> and we're back. Uh, the drone show obviously happened. Well, pretty much like 15 minutes before we heard. <laughs> I think the sound that I heard was uh, the drones coming back in for a landing, probably. But, hey, you know what? 
You win some, you lose some. Uh, like you said, though, our conversation is uh, a bit more fun than watching drones. Although it would have been pretty cool to see 200 drones in unison doing maneuvers. I wonder how high they went. I don't know. Could have been incredible. I don't know. I don't know what ceiling they had to had to follow with because there's some local airports and stuff like that. Yeah, where's oh, what there's Boyne City, there's Pelston. There's the Charlevoix. Oh, Boyne City's got an airport, don't they? Yeah. Does Charlevoix have one? I don't know. I could look it up on my app. I have some drone apps. Drone apps. Well, I've got some drone stories if you want to hear it. Dude, drone, drone nightmares, to tell you the truth. Constellation of the month. Um well, Sven, my brother Sven, shout out Sven, uh, he lent me his drone, which was one of those pretty stock ones that you get at Walmart, I uh, can't remember what they were called, everybody had them for a while, pretty small, pretty compact, pretty mm-hmm. easy to use, uh, I took that on the trip to do the Americas, and testing it out on a pretty calm day in the Labrador Sea. And I guess I had some sort of perimeter setting that I had not shut off where if it gets too close to something, it, it backs away. Yep, yep. Unfortunately, what that was was my shrouds and my backstay. And so I, every time I tried to bring it back to the bow, it was like, no, 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 no. And I couldn't get it. And I, I toyed with trying to get it above me. I was sailing at the time, and I was so panicked. I didn't want to like just drop the controls and st- try and stop the boat. Yeah. Because I figured I'd probably lose it. Uh, long story short, I watched as this thing 15 feet away from me just slowly ran out of batteries and then just bit the dust. It's rough, man. I know. I was just like, It's rough. Super gone. Because that was going to be, that was going to be my secret weapon for the ice. Even though when I think about it now, uh, from what I understand and from what I experienced in once I got close to like the Arctic Circle and stuff, it's so foggy up there all the time. You can't see anything anyway. Yeah. But my plan was to use that drone once I got up into the Northwest Passage to be able to scout, yeah, places in the ice, gaps, things like that. That's a, and very, that's a very smart idea. I think it would have been pretty much a first, you know, scout the ice up there. But hey, never got the chance. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. You know, it happens. Yeah. Mine, I've only crashed mine once. And I was working for a client on some real estate stuff on some custom homes. And it has all those sensors on it. You know, when you get closer to something, it, it just sends off all these bells and whistles and starts hollering at you and this and that. And I knew it It won't physically stop it, but it'll, the closer you get to an object, the more noise it makes saying hey hey <laughs> yeah and i you, you can you can consciously ignore them and i got really close to this tree and then the wind picked up and it blew just this light limb of a maple oh. and just these bitter ends of this limb of a few leaves just hit, hit one of my props and just sent the whole thing to hell in a handbasket <laughs> it was just but i did it i looked at it and i was just like i asked for that i i I set myself up for it this. Happens. I can't. Hey. It was like, hey. Drones are just like anything. I mean, you know, think about uh, back in the day, the only equivalent 
you know, with Sans camera was, you know, little, uh, little RC planes. And how many times did people crash those? Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't know anybody that had one. That was like for rich kids or whatever, but like those were the coolest or, you know, they did have, remember those old school RC helicopters. Mm -hmm. Those things would have been a nightmare. Yeah. Nightmare. I can't even imagine. Yeah. They're fun. It's fun. I, I tell us, I tell us to my clients a lot and the drone stuff. It's really an enjoyable opportunity because it's like, they got cool cameras, but it's nothing. They're, they're not any different than some of the nice. Do you want to pull that mic nope. just a bit closer? Very good. Yeah. I can uh, unleash you a little there. Oh, okay. Nice. I just they're, want your, your, your voice to be crystal clear, booming and loud as normal. Mm. As a photojournalist, I appreciate that. <laughs> Cheers, man. Cheers, buddy. Good times. But the, the cameras are great and everything, but they're no different than what we have now on, on most of our phones. But the one thing that changes is everything we are used to seeing stuff from. I'm used to seeing things from my six foot three yeah. vantage, but yeah. everything looks different and cooler from 450 feet in the air. Yeah. And it's so much fun. It's just, it's just fun. They're just they're they're pretty crazy. I mean, I when I got this new one, which I believe yeah, is like a Roku or something like that. It's a, it's a cheap one. It was like two maybe two fifty. Oh okay. So you know, not expensive. It's kind of bigger, bulky. It doesn't have the smooth panning on the camera. Like when I took videos with it, you know, it's all like yeah, <laughs> a little more analog. Yeah, yeah, it was, and it's just one of those things. Where all I really want were a few shots um of sparrow sailing and i was able to get those where you, you get ahead of the boat and you just park it there and you just you record and the boat like sails oh, it just looks and so that's cool good. yeah it was it was definitely fun it's not super high definition or anything like that but again after after losing one drone i was sort of like i'm probably gonna lose this one too because it's hard to do it off a boat i've never taken that leap it's tricky and it's it's one of those where when you launch that, you know, you're like, this is, I, and I, I say I've got about a 30% chance of getting it back. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty conservative too. In reality, it's probably more like 20%. Mm-hmm. I, one time I was at anchor and I launched the thing. Granted, I was at anchor for an hour or two. I'd had a couple of cocktails and I launched the thing, and I thought it was fully charged, but I plugged the wrong battery into it. And as soon as I launched it, I realized it was at like 20%. And I was just like, oh. And then the wind picked up, and I was trying to get it back. Yeah. Grazed the force day. Grazed <laughs> oh. it. And then, in some miraculous way, and this this uh, this is going to lead into my, my crazy story, but uh, it I, I was like, Last ditch effort, 5%. It's beeping at me, all this sort of stuff. I just zoomed it right at me, and I snatched it out of the sky. Yeah. And I was like, holy cow. I was bleeding because one of the blades oh, hit my you? thumb. Oh, yeah, dude. And those things are fierce. Uh, but heart pounding. I'm holding on to it. I couldn't believe it. I yeah. was just like, I wish there was video of that part. That would have been pretty cool. I've seen some people, and it. I think it is dependent on which type of drone you're using but i've seen some people launch them off of boats well they will um redneck they'll take like a a piece of like broomstick handle or something like that just something two three feet long and literally 
tape it or tie it around the drum oh, so, so they can it. hold it and it's something qu- easier to grab because reach it's tra- i've i've done the old reach underneath Ooh, yeah and grab like that. it and that if ugh. you're moving and what you're standing on is moving yeah it's not fun pork chop had a good one he talked about people uh tying off fishing line and just letting letting fishing line go on a pole so that no matter what they could reel it back in Huh. Because it's always blowing it down. The line's not going to get tangled up in as long as you're not doing crazy maneuvers. Yeah. Or I think maybe he said at one point like a six-foot line or something with some sort of like washers or something hanging from it. Huh. So it it would just keep that down, and it's like a little tether you can grab. That's super interesting. I don't know. When I I first got it, I had had it for eh, a couple of weeks. Was messing around with it intermittently at the marina down in South Carolina, but I don't like because they're so loud. I don't like bothering people with it. I know that when I hear one buzzing around wherever I am, if I'm trying to do anything and I hear that, I'm always there's part of me that's just mad. I'm like, get that thing out of the skies. I hate that sound. And so I'm very cognizant of that and I don't want to. You know, a part of me wanted to practice every single day so I get really good at it. Mm-hmm. And the other part of me is like, well, let's just throttle back every once in a while, I'll do it, get good at this thing, and then go out on the boat. And uh, there was one day where it was windy, really windy all day. And then it seemed like the wind turned off. And I was kind of at the marina and I was like, hey, man, you know, I, I'm going to give the old drone a shot and fly this thing. Yeah. I send it up maybe like 100 feet. And it hit the real wind up there and just gone. I couldn't, I I was like, and I'm like struggling, pushing the joystick really hard, trying to get it to come back over me and it can't fight the wind and it just goes. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh no. And like, it goes over the highway and then off into the neighborhood and, you know, way out of sight. I lose connection with the remote. And I'm just like, oh, and it was up at like, I think at that point it was well over 200 feet. And I, all I'm thinking to myself is, oh my gosh, like this thing's gone. It's probably going to land on somebody's car, somebody's house. Maybe it's going to kill somebody. I don't know. I'm going to get rid of the evidence. And I went and threw the joystick away. And uh, <laughs> I was like, I'm done with it. I washed my hands. I mean, Granted, I'm in the rivers uh, in South Carolina. There's not a huge population down there. So chances are I was just going to disappear into the woods or whatever. But it, uh, I, I throw it in the dumpster. I'm like, done. I'm just going to forget it. I'm never buying another drone. This is just stupid. And I'm walking back down to the dock, and I get just outside of Sparrow, and I hear this noise, and I'm like, and I look straight up, Lassie, and there's Lassie the drone, came home. It had some setting again. Last time it ruined me. This time it saved me where when it loses connection with that remote has returned to home, it goes right back to home. Yeah. And because I had thrown the thing away and it had turned it off, unplugged my phone from it. All it had was that signal. So it used every bit. And that was the reason I bought that one in particular was it had like a 40 minute battery life. Yeah. And it used all 40 minutes to mm-hmm. just get, it was like, oh, I'm going to get back. That's so cool. I'm going to do it. That's the reason I've been so reticent to take off of a moving 
a moving object and then more so a maritime object because it it you get one chance they gps plant they're not like you know it's not a relationship between drone and controller no, it's, it's, it's a literally in space it's yeah it's imprinting like you know to the 30th degree long and lat and this is the place and it's like if you're a moving object and it's this and that and i was just like yeah yeah it's it's sketchy man it really is it's not easy i my hat's off to those who uh there there are people that do it i've seen video of some of the around the world race boats that do it yeah the folks on like the and it's blown like crazy i mean obviously they have a really nice drone they can handle heavy winds and things like that but man i mean they're, they're keeping up with these boats doing 25 knots yeah and i'm just like holy smoke sparrow's doing like four yeah they're, so so the model that they use is va- is a little bit different than mine, but it's the same same platform but a uh, slightly different setup. But it's got they have great uh, stabilization in high winds. I took mine out once on St. Clair Shores mm-hmm. or um, on Lake St. Clair in uh, in Michigan, intentionally on a really high wind day. I think it was blowing twenty two twenty four. It was a really it's moving and Windy. I was like, yeah. yeah, I was like, let's just see, see how it does. And it, it was really interesting how it responds. And I know the ones that they use can, if you just, if you just launch it, if you take off and just don't do anything, it'll hover and stay. But it's interesting watching it fight. You can see the gusts come in and you can see it twitch and react yeah, yeah. and pitch and all that stuff. And it, the way it can stay still. And I was like, okay, this is, this is cool. But I haven't had the, I haven't had the gumption to, uh, Take it on a boat. Well, it's just, I, I, it, like I said, I go back to that same thing. Like you got one, you got one chance, and you can't screw it up. Yeah. Because if you screw it up, you lose the drone, and you're sort of just like, oh, man. Because they are, they're expensive, and uh, lose those suckers. And I don't know. I'm I when I get back down there to TJ's Marina and Boatyard. Shout out TJ's where Sparrow is safe and sound. Oh, I did talk to Murph. Up there in Maine. Oh. And, yeah, they had uh, Tropical up. Storm Lee came in. Ugh. They only got hit with north winds. The boatyard is protected by anything from the north. And uh, Oh, well, that's good. He was like, well, I was nothing guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, thankfully. But they did have – they hauled out a ton of lobster boats, a ton of sailboats. And they're probably going to relaunch quite a few of them. Wow. Yeah. Huge pain. Huge pain. I'm sure. I'm sure Chief, the guy in charge of uh, the boatyard, my old boss, is probably just like, oh no, we hauled you out. You're not going back in. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't mess around. Put man. his put his fist down. Oh my gosh, yeah, dude. He's like, I did you a favor, but you you think these are saloon doors yeah, going each right. way? No, yeah, no, no. Easy, but we have to work around the tide, guy. Oh wow. So yeah, who knows? Who knows? But uh, what's geez. a uh, what's um what's like an activity or a trip? I was thinking about this. What's an activity or a trip that really interests you? You think it's just really engaging, but you know you would never do. Ooh, that I know I would never do. I honestly, oh, that's easy for me. Climb a mountain. Yeah. I, I, there's something about that that I think would be really, really, uh, right up my alley. Like where it's, you know, there's, there is a, a pinnacle spot right up there. I can see it from here. 
you know, it's not like the AT where you got to imagine it. You know, you're sitting down there at Springer Mountain in Georgia and you're trying to think of Katahdin up in Maine. Or you're in Gloucester and you're trying to picture Gloucester again. <laughs> going around the planet first so uh <laughs> that one's a bit of a mind trip there i i can only write <laughs> but um no a mountain but i don't i just i don't have i don't have the climbers spirit in me i i i know a lot of i've done some kind of sketchy climbing and stuff up in the up mm-hmm. with ropes and without ropes and stuff i don't like it at all it doesn't feel, it just, it feels like that's, that's the time where I would have, if I got into the wrong situation, a panic attack and just like lose it and, and just fall off the mountain. Yeah. What about you? Now that we're peeling back the layer on fears and phobias. Yeah. I don't, <gasps> I don't know. I feel like. I see, I see some of these old boys that do some of this intense, like bull riding. And I'm just like, it's back to the whole, like you, like where you are on the food chain and you think you're capable and like nature kind of gives you a little, I watch some of these fellers do this stuff and I'm like, they're just, they're tougher than a woodpecker's lips. (laughs) And I'm just like, tougher than boiled owl. Yeah. And I'm like. (laughs) That just, it just looks like a trip. Cause it's like, what do they have to, they have to sit for like eight, 10 seconds. And it's just like, that's not that long. I'm an and angry then, bull. And I'm just, but then you look at this, this thing that is, you know, hundreds, thousands of pounds of just angry, angry muscle. And I'm just like, I think I would just get a little bit of anxiety just watching some of these fellas do it. And Dude, it's, no that way. seems yeah, and like and some of this, some of those Western stuff, barrel racers and this and that. Well, what's that guy? The the like the all time greatest bull rider modern uh, times. What's his name? I think he has an abbreviation first name. It's like PJ something. Something or other. I, I I'd recognize him, but you just like I've seen a couple interviews uh, where he's spoken, and I'm just like you're just he was. You can tell he was just meant to do this. Oh, totally. And you're just like I have absolutely nothing but respect for you. And he, I, I watched something where he talks about how he trains for it. And all he does is go and stand on a basketball. He was like, I stand on a basketball. And you get your balance. You get your center of gravity. You get everything from that. And I'm trying, I'm I'm trying like, to yeah, – I, I can picture him. Yeah. I mean, he's he, brown, dark brown hair, skinny. I, I, cigarette hanging out yeah, of his mouth. Yeah, he's yeah, just he's, he's like he's the Marlboro man, he's but he actually man, is. Totally. And he's worth millions of dollars because yeah. of his bull. I mean, I've seen him go and he he rides the clock out multiple times. And he's just on the wildest, craziest thing. Like, I don't know. Nuts, man. Dear listeners, we are exercising restraint and not looking this up on our phones because we have nope. the mental fortitude. We're gonna figure this out eventually. Exactly. In 20 minutes, it's All gonna, it's gonna pop into here. it's gonna pop into our uh, very well informed domes. God, I I seriously want to punch every screen I see, unless it's like this screen right here on this little device that that uh, digital screen. That's acceptable. That I can handle. I'm I'm so so far beyond sick of looking at screens. Like Jerome phones. just lovingly pointed to his audio recorder and then shat, 
shot a scathing glance at his cellular phone. (laughs) I would give anything. Give any. I and I. I don't know, man. I you get into that. You fall into that trap of like, well, I have to do it. I have to do it for work. I have to like upload things, and I have to have that content and all that sort of stuff. And you know, that's the one. The saving grace with this podcast would be if if eventually it got to a point where you know it, it I don't know I had a uh, I love all the listeners that I have it's fantastic I get emails and stuff like that but if that grew to a point where all of a sudden you know I didn't need to do any of the other stuff oh it'd be the greatest thing ever but it's a necessary mm. evil because this is allowing you to connect with people that otherwise you would never be able to connect to truly truly well and and you know back in the day I always tell people because sometimes because I, I flip-flop. I'm a little little bit like, uh, emotional roller coaster. And there's sometimes where people are, you know, getting all upset about social media and all that sort of stuff. And I, I have to remind them, I'm like, well, you know, back before the internet, if you wanted to get the word out, you had to put ads in magazines or put ads on TV, and that cost you millions of dollars or thousands of dollars at least. At least here, you can do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, man, I'll tell you when I try, I try to just produce content, um, and not consume it, but you always end up consuming a little bit. Every time you open the fridge, man, you grab a snack, you take a bite. And a lot of times when I see stuff on there, I'm just like aghast and I don't even want to be part of it anymore. I'm just like, Oh, I don't want to, if you just. It makes me feel like it's like, oh, look, 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 look. And I know that's what you're supposed to do if you're trying to promote something. But I don't know. It's one of those things. It's a, I guess we could file that under the double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like, mm. I totally agree with you. I'm, I'm such a hypocrite with it because it's like I, I chagrin it. But then at the same time, I would be lying if I said I didn't, I didn't see a content producer or, or a writer or a journalist or a photographer that did something. And then I looked at the way that they built that recipe for this, whatever the content I'm seeing. And then I did the old, well, what if, and then you kind of can distill a new idea from it mm-hmm. and just yeah. like the natural evolution of thoughts and ideas. And it's just like, well, you know what, Everett, for a guy that makes fun of social media a lot, you've you've definitely gleaned some pretty good ideas from it that have like come to fruition successfully. And a lot of failures. A lot of failures. A lot of failures. But it's yeah. Necessary evil. I think so. I think so. But I you know, I, I think in my in my little perfect world, uh, and I've said this for years, is that, you know, the the minute I don't have to have one of those, like a smartphone, a tablet thing. Um, and can replace it with, I mean, ideally, I think it would be really great to, uh, have an app on a phone like this that takes over the phone completely. And when you touch it, only the keypad for dialing numbers and contacts is there. And that's it. It's the only thing the phone does. It, it completely blocks everything else out. There's nothing else you can get out of that phone except for the phone accessory. 
I think that would be pretty neat. I got, then then I, I would have one of these. I got a 15-year-old Nokia telephone. I'll sell it to you cheap. Bingo. <laughs> well, I mean, you know. <laughs> People make fun of my iPhone 5, but I'll tell you what. When it's come time to change battery, you can do it yourself. Yep. I, I did the same thing on my 7. Yep. Yeah, the old school man. Old school. What's some uh what's some cool like old school technology? I know like you do the wind vane and I know that's a whole thing. Oh yeah. Have, well like, and wind... I have a I have a sorry to, to interrupt there, but I got a great, great email from uh this guy James who's actually gonna be hauling his West Sale. He's a brand new member of the West Sale family. Oh nice. Bought one up in the mountains of Tennessee. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trucked it he's he's gonna truck it well it happens man i mean people that's the thing with these old classic boats sometimes people will buy them and be like dude i'm taking that to my property i'm gonna remake it and then i'm gonna go sail the caribbean or whatever they get it out there it turns into a multi-year project that's what sparrow was it sat in the guy's yard in florida a little more reasonable but sat in a yard in florida for 12 years before the guy gave up on it and sold it but uh, this one went up there and now he's, he's getting ready. And I've watched a couple, at least one of his YouTube videos where he just gives a tour of the boat. Mm-hmm. All the West sales pretty much look pretty much the same. Um, you know, it's just different degrees of wear and tear, let's mm-hmm. say, um, and special custom stuff. Um, but essentially, yeah, he's, he's going to go and haul it out at TJ's or have it shipped to TJ's, which is the Marina, the mines in. And, uh, yeah, hopefully by the time I get back, he'll be there. So we'll have two West sales and he's got to do a lot of work on his. I got to do a lot of work on mine. I'm sure James shout out. He's listening right now. And, uh, That'd be pretty cool, man. That's super cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hopefully little, I'll little be there. Sale. I'm like, well, I'm hoping. I uh, he he wants to take note of some of the mods that I did on Sparrow before the trip around the world. Yeah, which a West Sale, it's already like overbuilt, but there are there are like faults to that design. Luckily, there's enough. There's been enough usage of those boats. Workarounds. That, yeah, well, people have just, they've they've keyed into the real, they've isolated the real problems. And with just a little bit of reading and all that sort of stuff, I was able to find out what things needed to be replaced and beefed up. And that, and, you know, I did that. Proofs in the pudding, the boat made it around the world without problem. Got knocked down a couple times, all that sort of stuff. But I think he wants to get his boat up to snuff. Like, it's it's kind of, I mean, I, I don't want to say, because it's definitely not, There's there's a West Sail can't remember what the dude's name is. I want to say it's like Bill something. Um, but he, so the the rudder on the West Sail is not a smooth attachment to the hull by any means. Like there's there's bolts that come out. The, the, the gudgeons are like bulky. There's a gap in between. It slows you down. It creates a lot of drag. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this guy went in. And he was kind of like, he's on the West Coast, and this is back in like the 80s or 90s, and he's like, you know what, I'm going to make that smooth. And so just with like, you know, foam and epoxy and all that stuff, he filled it all in so that it's like, it's a smooth, smooth haul. Yeah. And then he went out and proceeded to do the trans pack, and he won it on corrected time. (laughs) Yeah. Just blew everybody away. I mean, I, you know, it would have been like a butterfly sort of in our regatta, I guess. Uh, But... Um, it's become like this modification you could do to West Sail 
to get an extra knot out of it. But a knot to a west sail is you get an extra twenty percent of boat speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's this huge sort of sort of thing. Well, I don't want to. I was going to use that word we were talking about earlier. Dichotomy. It's that, just that let's let's. I don't you think know what? Would, is, should we let it go? No, no. We're I think we're there. Let's just go. lean into it. Dichotomy to that the racing world, speed, all that sort of stuff. Mighty Sparrow, in some ways, because I've taken a lot of emails and a lot of letters from people and calls from people of how they want to make their West Sail stronger and ready for anything. Yeah. It's like kind of Sparrow has become sort of the, the, I don't want to say the bar, but essentially, you know, has set a standard of like how to beef these boats up to the point where they can go around the world without any problems. Well, you, you are, you, you and Mighty Sparrow are the proving grounds. So yeah, I mean, in some ways, yeah, yeah, yeah I guess we are. Well, Mighty Sparrow, I'm not, I'm just a guy who did it. Like, you know, installed the stuff, had the idea, but well, Sparrow's the one that had to take the brunt over and over. How many, I got a question for you. How many waves do you think Mighty Sparrow got hit by? many waves yeah nine months like rogue waves no no no, just waves straight up waves just a wave getting splashed up against you usually eight eight to ten eleven second period nine months hundreds of thousands you think millions i mean you you would (laughs) your face there was great just well, no, I mean, like, no, it's a what? tremendous question, but I'm thinking like you're going, when you're going through heavy weather and you're getting in those areas where it's super long, wide open rollers, you're getting the biggins you get the big and you're, yeah. and you're, you're, you know, surfing down them like, and stuff Rrr. like that. Yeah. Lots, lots. <laughs> well, they say when you do the, the Appalachian trail, it's 5 million steps to get from Georgia to Maine Yeah, or vice versa. Somebody, somebody somewhere. There's, I don't think there's any validity to it. I think it's just somebody being romantic. They were like, "Oh, the Mississippi, it's one million paddle strokes." Oh, interesting. I don't, I don't know what there strokes. is to that. To the, but well, but you know, I mean, you could guesstimate it, and I know if I grab my phone right now, we could, we could do a little calculation. I'm not gonna, but and I'm not gonna try and add it up on this plate with this marker or anything like that either. Um, but you know, if you, if you, if you average it out to say like 10 seconds, every 10 seconds you're getting hit by a wave. So you're getting six waves a minute. So you're getting 36, six waves a minute, 60 minutes. So six times 60. Please don't ask three, me. 360 waves an hour. 24 hours, 24 times a day. Yeah, I lost it on that one. But, like, that's a lot. And then multiply that times 271 days. So I guess it wouldn't be that many. I don't know if it would reach a million waves. Interesting. Because you take a footstep every, like, second or half second. That's why the AT gets you up to five mil. Yeah. You know what the cool part about that was, though? is those sticks. So day one, I found two walking sticks. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah, just sticks in the woods. And they started out, and I had them measured up, and they, were, they kept my elbows 
Like when I stood straight up and I planted them in the ground, my elbows were bent up a little bit. And you, by the time I got up there, not only had I broken one of them and stitched it back together or splinted it back together, but I had to add extensions onto them okay. because they had lowered out so much because I had beaten those things into the rocks and the roots and the, the ground so many times. That's so cool. Yeah. I still have them. They're, they're in my house. And you, they're, dude, they're, they're like old bones, dude. I love them. You, if you look at, I was, I was speaking to my canoe paddle earlier. Yeah. If, if same, you, same ilk. If you look at it, you can just look at it and you can see where the fiberglass is untouched and you can see where it's worn down through like so happening. Cool. And you can see where my hands were and where my mm. hands have literally rubbed through layers of fiberglass and stained what you can like see exactly how I held it. Yeah, oh, right. And uh, let me ask you this out of curiosity if you were to try to sort of re- not restore the paddle, but if you were going to, you know, just clean it all up, mm-hmm. you know, throw a couple layers of varnish on it, would you sand it all down so that stuff's gone? Or would you just scuff it enough? So that it's encoded in there and then coat over it. If if I if I had to do it, if this was like you need if to, if you do were going to mount it on the wall, and never use it again, I wouldn't would touch it. Wouldn't touch it. No, at all. I wouldn't. I would. I. It, it's got these battle wounds, man. It's got these scars. From, what if? Well, let me. But, let but me if I. This. But if I had to do that, I would. I would put patches over it, and I would leave. Those are memories, man. Yeah. What if you were going to mount it outside? Never use it again, but you were going to mount it outside in the elements. I put a bunch of aggressive layers of very thick poly on it. Very clear poly on it. But you wouldn't like restore it back to new? No. Good man. It's All got, right. it's, it's, it's. That's a, how Sparrow is. It's a storyboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sparrow's just like that, dude. There's, there's like, as you go in the wood that surrounds the companionway. Yeah. It's From all where, just, it's beautiful. It's all nice. And then it gets to these spots where obviously my hands were holding on as the boat was rocking. Yeah. And I've worn, and all the sunscreen took all the varnish off immediately. It's all varnished really well. When I went down to Dominica, um, 2019, 2018, 2019, after the trip, I did a big varnish job down there. And I think it's on my map somewhere in my mug right here. Oh, could be. Could be. <laughs> That's super- Yeah, well, because the, the English had it. Dominica mm-hmm. was theirs for a while. It was like the greatest water source in the Caribbean. Huh. There's 360 waterfalls or streams on that island. Boy, howdy. Well, it's because it, it's got huge peaks, so it has creates its own little rain system. And these that place literally dumps pure fresh water into the ocean all day every day you can drink right out of there's no there aren't really like cattle there's not there's no sort of varmints i guess you could say running around scamping through the stuff so you can just grab water right out of a stream well drink it i mean talk about a resource that's dude few and far between the caribbean yeah right no, I'm jumping back to my question from a few minutes ago. Bring it. You and I were being grumpy old men about our phones, which we are yeah. all, which we are right on, by the way. Yeah, I know. But there's you, you've utilized old technology. And what do you think? Some old technology. And I know we don't have time to go into like your wind vane. And I know you used. Oh a, yeah, we a, were we were sextant, there like not too long and, ago, and a sextant and stuff like that. But is there some just like 
old, in your opinion, old technology that should maybe just like, why don't people know about this? Or there's some, something that's like, this is, this is just, will always have a place in perpetuity for humankind. That's just, it's been around forever, but it's just like, it's great. Well, I, you know, as far as it, to be specific with the sailboat, I think the wind vane, uh, the self-steering wind vane is absolutely totally underutilized these days. I mean, with, with autopilots and all that stuff, the expense that goes into that and the headaches that go into fixing it and the power consumption that goes into those things compared to what I get to do with that wind vane with three or four drops of oil every day to just keep it running. Now, granted, it doesn't work when the wind's not going, but that's where, you know, other, other sort of forms of that come into play. But I mean, that thing sails the boat whenever it's windy. Why do you think without any electricity? Why do you think it's not utilized? Well, I think I, I don't, for any boat that's under like 40 feet, I don't know. And I would think some boats that are even bigger than that, under maybe 50 feet. I don't know. I think those wind vanes work really well with tiller driven sailboats that are in that 30 to 40 foot range or smaller. Um, Is the wind- I've only used two different types though. I've, I've used the Aries and I've used the uh, monitor wind vanes. Are wind vanes proportionate to the specific boat? Or is it, it depends. No, there, you know, it's, it really like, so the Aries and I'm going to do a whole like podcast about this. That's what that guy, James, uh, had emailed me about. He was like, I want to know everything about Mongo and why you use that specific one. Well, an Aries fits really well with, uh, what I like to utilize on the boat. So an Aries wind vane utilizes it hooks to the tiller mm-hmm. so that you're actually using the rudder of the boat to steer the boat okay right some of the other ones um actually have their own rudder and your rudder gets your rudder and tiller get locked off sorry in the center so the boats just would be going straight and now this auxiliary rudder is doing it. Okay, they're neutralizing that and then putting okay, yeah. I gotcha. And on a boat like a West Sail, where my rudder is nine feet long, it's like a barn door, I want to use that. Wow. Because that that thing is a weapon and if I'm, you know, surfing down twenty foot waves controllability. I want to be able to use that as best as possible. Um <sighs> The way it's built up, too, there's, and I'd have to almost look because I, I haven't done, I haven't done a huge, once once I found that Aries and I saw how it worked and everything and how it was built, I was like, yeah, well, that's the one, obviously, because I've seen some of the other ones and kind of like, meh, uh, I, I could see areas where those would fail. Hmm. Um, and it's, there's monitor and then there's. Because I said monitor before. Monitor, I think, is very close to the Aries, where it uses like the little servo gear sort of thing, and you're you're actually utilizing the rudder. There's another one. 
uh, I could just be mixing up the names where it actually has its own auxiliary rudder where it, it steers the boat. But regardless, that one, I don't know. It's just one of those things where you get dialed in with it and you treat it like another sail. So you fine tune it, you get it tuned in, and then boom, it just does its thing. And it, it sails that boat without any any encouragement or input from me. It just keeps sailing the boat. It's great. How old is that technology? Uh, I want to say at least like 50, 60 years. I mean, they were playing with it for a long time because there were solo sailors back in like the 50s and 60s mm-hmm. trying to figure it out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I can only imagine they're the ones that were calling for that sort of technology and, and some engineers came up with it. Are there any pitfalls? Uh, Yeah. Oh, definitely, man. If you go... If I set that thing, like let's say I'm coastal sailing, I'm 10 miles offshore, mm-hmm. cruising down, yeah. got the wind, it's great, everything looks awesome. I go down to go to sleep, but the wind shifts. The boat's going to shift with it. Like they sail to the apparent wind. They don't sail to the true wind. You can't, you can't be like, oh, I want to set this so that I am sailing 180 degrees on the compass, no, you're sailing 180 degrees to the wind if you want, but if that wind changes, the boat changes. And unless you wake up, and that that you know that can get you into some serious trouble. I would never try and sleep any any time I'm if I was really close to the shore within 10 miles, let's say, and I needed to go to sleep, I'd hope to. Yeah. So I'm moving like less than two knots that means i've got five six hours where i can be crashed out and nothing's gonna happen yeah because i'm never gonna sleep that long anyway what's hull speed on your west sail five six uh when i'm pushing it six uh normally between four and a half five and a half yeah yeah love it yeah oh i mean that's that's plenty for me like i i'm i'm never in any need Granted, when you got a low pressure system breathing down your neck, it's kind of nice to to be able to go faster. Uh, and there's definitely times where I'm like, you know, I'm this last voyage to avoid all of the ugly stuff from not the one that I had the big knockdown in, but mm-hmm. the next system, which was even uglier. Uh, if I would have had a 10 knot boat, I wouldn't even seen 15 knots of wind. I would have just blazed right past all of it. And then been able to sweep right back into Bermuda. But, you know, slow boat. I'm already sailing. What's my hurry? Yeah. It's, yeah, on the long in the long run. Who, who cares? Who cares? Yeah. I mean, that's why it's built up so tough anyway, so that it can handle the weather going around and stuff. So, Yeah, I've seen a lot of, uh, a lot of similarities between the old mighty sparrow and then my fair canoe. Yeah, do you have a name for it? No, no. So That's that's kind of messed up, dude. That no, it really is. And honestly, this has been on my mind for years. Will and I, who I canoe the Mississippi with, Will Johnson, Swedish native, amazing human being. Shout um, out Will. Shout out Will. He and I had all these talks. So he's he's like I said, he's a native of Sweden, and we were we had this conversation literally the entire way down the river because mm-hmm. I was, cause he was, he was very nice about it. But he's like, Oh, it's, it's your canoe. And I said, no, no, no. At this point, it's you, our canoe. this is our canoe, yeah. man. You are, you literally have as much blood, sweat and tears into this vessel as I do. 
and we were joking and he's he's a he's a uh a sarcastic joker he's a great dude like that but he was joking about how the the famous north american shipwreck the edmund fitzgerald uh in the i think it was the 15 or 1600s the king of sweden commissioned this giant warship that was going to be this flagship representation. Oh, and they kept the portals open and it healed over and sank, right? It, exactly. Yes. It had millions of dollars of gold on all the, the, the stanchions and the mast and the yard arms and all this stuff. It was called the Vasa. Yes, the Vasa. And it didn't even make it out of the harbor and it sank. <laughs> and so Will was just like, we should name it the Vasa Fitzgerald. And I said, I don't know how I feel about yes. that. I'm not much of a superstitious man, but I said, I'm not trying to like... I don't know, man. No. I don't know about that. So he's like, okay, well, that's fair. And we never settled on anything. And uh, my canoe is, it's an amazing boat, but it's its a brighter red color. Ooh. And it's its very nice. And this and that. And I was talking actually pretty recently with my, um, uh, my lovely wife. And we were talking about it. And she said the same thing. She's like, Everett, just this thing needs a name. Yeah. After everything. You've you, I, yeah. I don't. And so the only thing I could come up with, and I'm open to ideas from literally anyone, it's a red canoe, but I was joking. I was like, oh, it'd be, it'd be ironic and funny. I'm, I'm a proud Kentuckian, and I'm from the bluegrass state. And I was like, what if we name a red canoe bluegrass? Yeah, there you go. Perfect, man. I think that's pretty Done, dude. I think that's pretty fun. I think you just found the name. Are we, are we settling on it? Yeah, might Little as well, bluegrass. Man. Yeah, Totally. Don't overthink a boat name. That's where you get into trouble. Don't make it a double entendre. It doesn't need to be like, you know. Uh, not my problem. Yeah, naughty time. <laughs> naughty. Oh, God. Ugh. You know, those sort of names. You see a million of those. No, you just you throw something out there. But, yeah, I mean, that canoe that I have uh, that's sitting behind my parents' garage at this point, but we used to always take up north, that had a name the first trip. Like, it didn't make it through the first lake before a big old leak sprouted out of a missing <laughs> rivet. And I was like, leaky bean strikes again. <laughs> and it was just like, that was it. Like it always has. And I mean, you know, I changed the name. Sparrow was Sierno after Sierno de Bergerac, you know, the big nose story oh, about the guy. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, terrible name people kept mispronouncing it i'm probably mispronouncing it too it was awful i couldn't believe like i rolled around the bvi doing all the training and stuff yeah to get ready for that trip with this huge black lettering on the back oh i couldn't wait i changed it without doing any ceremony any of that stuff i was just like get that stupid name off of there um but it felt so good when it had mighty sparrow plastered on the side like that boat just it just smiled that's so good. It's straight up smile. Like boats have to have that name, man. Yeah. Like John Candy said, or not John Candy, but uh, in that John Candy film, a Summer Rental, he learns yeah, how to yeah. sail in that. And the old pirate guy who's teaching him how to sail, he's like, we name our boats after ladies to remind us to treat them gently. That's it. That's it. I So I, I heard this somewhere, and I hold this true, that all boats have female names because like mother earth they carry life aboard oh that's deep and i, I like found that. that very romantic and nice and i enjoyed that 
But with the naming thing, it's so, isn't it weird? The things in life that you make these snap decisions on and you just like quickly choose something and you're like, if it's right or wrong, you're like, whatever. And then other things you just are like panic, panic. panic you mode. think about like this. I can't name a canoe. I can't name an old, heavy, brutish canoe. It's like, why not? I know. Well, that <laughs> thing. I love when to you complicate get, shit. <laughs> when you get back, now the first thing you got to do is go order some lettering. Oh boy. And splash that. Right on the side of the canoe, dude. Oh, love it. It's great. I love it. Yeah. I want to do that, and then I want to get either, I don't know if about American flag, but I want to get like a Swedish flag and an American flag. Yeah, throw and, those. Like, put it there. in there because I like. But just remember on a canoe, and I don't know if this is fact or this is just something I came up with, but on Sparrow and most sailboats, the name is near the stern. Mm-hmm. On a canoe, the name's up by the bow. I don't know. That's where I put Leaky Bean. Interesting. 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 I, I, I honestly have no comment on that. Well, and here's, here's another one. Just throw another variation in there. When I had that Boston Whaler, both Boston Whalers down at Bitter End, shout out Bitter End, uh, it said rescue, B-E-Y-C, rescue one. That goes right in the middle. Mm-hmm. Big lettering. Cause Interesting. It's, well, because it's a work boat. So if I had, you know, if we if we had them here, it'd be right alongside, which I think would be super cool to have like CMYC Rescue One, CMYC Rescue Two, maybe throw, you know, throw some of their actual names on there. That'd be kind of cool too. But it's uh, it's interesting to see how those things all go out. Interesting. Like interesting. A couple flags or something. Mm. Can we pause it for a sec. Yeah. Let me hit that. All right. Now we're recording. We're back. We just missed out on five minutes of gold because I still don't know how to work this podcast machine. We are. We are. Just, That's all right. We are just monkeys at a keyboard. Dude. I know. Well, hey, you know what? We can't, you know, and it, it's one of those things, too. I do know one irrefutable fact about podcasting. If you record something or think you're recording something. And it's really good, and you find out you weren't. If you try and recreate it, it's never gonna work. Audio, video, photos—that's true for all of that. I I one hundred percent agree with you. You just gotta move on. You gotta move past. If it. you miss the moment, you miss the moment. Go. It's yeah. fine. Just it's. I block it out now. Before, two three years ago, I would have been picking my brain, being like, "What did I just say? I'm gonna say it again. Never again." Anyway, I do have to get some sleep. So, uh, Everett, this has been fantastic. Thank you. Uh, we got we easily have close to oh, probably an hour and a half to two hours. I'm very nice. I'm delighted Love and grateful it. for this opportunity to converse and engage with you once again, friend. Means a lot. It's always fun, man. It's, it's always fun. Do. Hopefully, we do uh, get to meet up down there uh, in southern Michigan at the end of the month and get out. If we don't get to do a pod, at least we can get out and do a paddle or we can get a pod and a paddle pod and paddle. And then paddle and pod paddle pod. pod. While we paddle paddle pod pizza. (laughs) People are going to literally unsubscribe because of the way I'm saying pod. Ah! No, no, everybody. All right, Everett, always a pleasure. And uh, if you do want to ever 
see any of Everett's work, it's everettmcislo.com. You can go right on his website and check out some of his adventures, some of his photos, some of the art that this man creates. Thank you. Proud and honored to be here. Sounds good. Till next time. Thank you, friend. Podcast number two, number three, coming up. Yeah.